0: And that happens to always fall on a Thursday. And thank you to Caleb, I was able to preach it also today, on Sunday. You're welcome. Thank you, Caleb. <laughs> I'm a giver. <laughs> He's a giver. Very <laughs> generous. Now, ascension is kind of weird, if really think about it. It's not like the cross, you know, the crucifixion of Jesus. You know, we all wear, wear crosses, we're familiar with what Good Friday is. What Jesus does on the cross, and it's not like the resurrection. That at least once a year you get some sort of TV show debating whether it's not whether it was historical or not whether it happened or not. You have a lot of historical evidence that can be debated. Ascension isn't like that. Ascension it doesn't have its you know secular equivalents of Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. No, ascensions kind of awkward because we celebrate leaving. Celebrate. The, the risen Lord who hangs out for 40 days, and I always hear in churches, oh man, if I could only been there for those 40 days. And then he leaves. It's kind of weird. It's kind of puzzling to us. It's puzzling for a few reasons, but I think it's one of the main reasons it's puzzling is because we're so focused on our life, our, our earthly existence. And unlike our puzzlement, The disciples responded, strangely, interestingly, with joy and worship of Jesus. As we heard in our gospel reading, While Jesus blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Joy at leaving. How could the disciples rejoice when Jesus left? In Acts, we heard that, that they were... When Jesus came to them, they expected him to establish his kingdom on earth. And then they turn around, and he leaves, and they are joyful. How? What did they know? I propose to you this morning that they could rejoice in worship because in Jesus' ascension, he completes his work of salvation and continues to minister to his body, the church, as their forerunner, high priest, and king. Now, from the get-go, I want to simply just acknowledge that this is a hard thing to understand. The ascension requires faith, requires trust, requires the ability to to see beyond the visible, simply because we just can't see Jesus anymore. And frankly, it is puzzling to many, to Christians and non-Christians alike, I think, It's kind of unbelievable. All of a sudden, this man just is taken up in the clouds. And sometimes when I think about the ascension, I I wonder, is this a problem for Christians? Is this to our disadvantage that Jesus simply just disappeared? Wouldn't it have been better if Jesus had stuck around? I mean, he was, according to the resurrection, he's eternal now. He could stick around and just tell everybody, I am God and I saved you. Wouldn't that have been kind of nice? Interestingly, and I think this points us in a different direction, the disciples themselves didn't understand who Jesus was until after his ascension. They didn't get it until after he left. And further, Jesus said in the Gospel of John that that, that the people who do not see and believe are blessed, who have faith, they are the blessed ones. So as we celebrate the ascension and seek to understand how it applies to our lives, we must, with Paul, who says in Colossians 3, turn our minds and our hearts in faith to the things that are above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear in glory. So we turn... To ask simply what is the ascension of Jesus now the Heidelberg Confet catechism uh, a reformed catechism from the 1600s defines the ascension as follows that before the eyes of his disciples Jesus was taken up from earth into heaven and remains there for our good until he comes again to judge the living and the dead so in my mind this provokes a question where did Jesus ascend and the answer seems to be heaven now heaven gets a bad rap in our culture um, can't but think of fat babies, angel things, um, kind of disturbing if you 're really thinking about it, um, or all those horrible kind of funny jokes with Peter at the gate protecting saying who's coming in and who's going out, and maybe you also just think of disembodiment. I saw something on TV never watched the history channel just I'm just putting it out there it was something something on TV about. Uh, the History Channel, about out-of-body experiences, and this woman experienced heaven, and it's just light. She said her soul was just like this, this beam of light. I find that kind of boring, if that's really what heaven is. Um, so we have these ideas of heaven. But in Scripture, heaven, according to uh, pastor and theologian Rakin Wilborn, is a different dimension of God's creation, totally pervaded with God's glory. Heaven is a created place where the triune God in his infinite majesty dwells with his angels and those who he has redeemed in peace and glory. It is where his kingdom rule, reign, and will are totally accomplished. It is a place. And we'll find out a little bit more about it when we consider how Jesus ascended. What is the manner of Jesus' ascension? So I was reading an article last week um, written by an evangelical Christian professor, who uh, teaches at an evangelical Christian college. And she said that this, this belief that I'm about to quote uh, pops up pretty normally and regularly in her Christian uh, students. This is what she says. While they trust in an afterlife of eternal bliss with God, most of them assumed this will be disembodied bliss, no bodies, in which the soul is finally free of its meat suit, Meat suit, yes. This stuff, this body of ours. Further, a student said, it doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel right to say there's a human body in heaven when the body is tied so closely to sin. Now, friends, I've been in the church long enough to know that this is a common belief among Christians. We think that when we die, our souls leave and our bodies stay here, and that's what heaven is about. And I've also found that Christians believe this in particular about Jesus. That somewhere along the line, Jesus just left his body when he went to heaven. Lost it on the way. Friends, neither of these beliefs are true. When we enjoy the fullness of salvation in the new heavens and new earth, it will be with our bodies renewed, the ones you are sitting here in this church, in this moment, with the full human Jesus Christ, the fully human, fully incarnate Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus ascended into heaven and is still human. He is still incarnate in this moment. And let me tell you, too, tell you straight, if Jesus did not ascend fully human and fully God, then your faith, then my faith, my job, everything here, is without hope, and we are of all people most to be pitied. The good and indescribable news of the ascension is that Jesus' physical body, mind, and soul is alive in heaven at this very moment. Jesus is still incarnate, and this, I would suggest to you, should help shift our imagination of heaven. It is not a disembodied place. It is a place where the full humanity of, all of humanity is welcome in Jesus Christ. It is where we are supposed to be. So this might be new to you. Um, You might ask, where is this in the Bible? It's a good question. It's an important question. I suggest to you two things, briefly. First, it's kind of like the doctrine of the Trinity, that The Bible doesn't just say God is three persons, you know, three persons one God, but throughout it's an implicit statement. The doctrine of the ascension is kind of like that as well. It's implicit throughout scripture. But I would suggest to you that the greater evidence of the ascension is actually salvation itself. Because if Jesus hadn't ascended, there would be no salvation. We see this In the book of Hebrews which I would like to recommend to you um, today it's a hard book but it's an important book in Scripture and one that focuses extensively on the ascension of Christ and this is what the author of Hebrews says in the first part of the book the beginning of the book speaking of Jesus he says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sin he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Friends, the ascension is so important to the author of Hebrews, that he sort of puts together the death and resurrection of Christ, and he, after making purification for sin, and just jumps straight to the ascension. It's essential for our salvation. Now I know that a lot of people think that, think of salvation as accomplished on the cross. That's true. On the cross Jesus died and destroys the barrier of sin between us and God. In his resurrection, he destroyed the wages of sin, death. And in his ascension, he draws our human nature into communion with God and ministers to us to his church as we travel this pilgrim road to the new creation. If the incarnate Lord Jesus did not ascend, we would not be saved. It is as simple as that. And thanks be to God that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father in glory. All that to say, I understand that it is still hard to believe. But let me just suggest to you today that if you can contemplate, if you can maybe believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the ascension necessarily follows. You can't believe that Jesus died and rose and not believe in the ascension. So Jesus ascended to heaven gloriously and mind-blowingly as a human being for the salvation of humanity and the world. And friends, this alone, this alone should drop us on our knees in joy and worship. But there's so much more to the ascension of Jesus. The ascension makes those who believe in Christ into a certain type of people. Jesus' ascension means Christians are a particular kind of people. They are transformed into the beloved children of God who are secured and assured by Jesus, their forerunner. They're sanctified by Jesus, their high priest, and they're called to worship him in everything they do by Jesus, their king. So we're going to look at those three aspects of Christ's ministry in his ascension, as we continue, as we read in our Acts and Epistle or Go- Acts and Gospel reading, Jesus ascended, and he ascended alone. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father, as we read heard in the Ephesians. And if we turn to John, we hear one of the purposes he went. He ascended before us on our behalf. He ran, f- uh, he ran to heaven. He went to heaven for us. The way the Hebrew, the author of Hebrews says it is: Jesus is our forerunner. Another word you can use for that is trailblazer. I like that image. I like that image that Jesus blazed the trail for humanity to be where they were created to be, in communion with God. Christians enjoy this by trust and faith now, and will enjoy its fullness in in, in the new heavens and new earth. So the first thing we hear is Jesus ascends and blazes the trail to heaven through death and hell and back again for all who believe in him. Friends, the good news of Jesus' ascension is that he has already run the race and won it for us. And there are a couple implications of that, interesting ones. The first one is that if Jesus is the only human, to have met or ever made it to heaven. And if he is truly the way, then he is the only way to heaven. But maybe you're not concerned about getting to heaven. What about life now? Well, I suggest to you that if we were created for communion with God, then Jesus is the only way for us to enjoy that now. Humans des- human desire for belonging, connection, and purpose can only be found in Jesus Christ. He is the only one who will fulfill every desire and hope. He is the satisfaction of our deepest longings. There is no other way to life but Jesus. And further, in Jesus' ascension, the full measure of his substitutionary life, death, and resurrection for us and on our behalf is presented to the Father, and the Father in his love, And care accepts it in its complete and overflowing abundance. This means that in Jesus, who goes before us, we have total access to the throne of grace. We are welcomed home. Because Jesus paid for all our sin and death, our injustice and our brokenness, with the infinite gift of his life. The salvation he offers is pure gift. It cannot be earned or bargained for. It can only be received. When Jesus ascended as our forerunner, the gift of salvation was unshakably established and open to all who will receive it. It is guaranteed by Christ's own presence in heaven with the Father. When we accept the gift of life in Christ, our identity, purpose, and calling is inextricably united to Jesus. We are saved from sin and for life in God as his beloved. Children, my friends, you are home in Christ and you are beloved in Christ. Friends, this only scratches the surface of Jesus. Jesus' ministry a forerunner and the guarantee of our salvation for all who believe. And in addition to this, he is also the faithful high priest for those who are united to him in faith. Now we saw in, 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 um, in Luke, that Jesus is blessing his disciples as he ascends. And this blessing is an act of, of priest, is a priestly act, is a pre- part of Christ's priestly office. And this office continues primarily in terms of intercession and advocacy as he is in heaven. This is what, again, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he, be- could, he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So you might ask, all right, Jesus is my forerunner. I get it, got salvation. For the future, what about now? What's what's going on now? What is is Jesus doing for me now? It's a good question. And friends, we learn in this passage that Jesus became human and remains human in heaven as our compassionate high priest. He understands the struggle. He understands the fight against sin. He understands the injustice and brokenness of the world. And he is at his father's side, praying for us and with us and in us. Because Jesus is our faithful high priest. Jesus knows exactly what we need more than we do. And he can give it to us for our good. So we have our new identity in Christ, beloved children of God, but we struggle to live into this day-to-day, I would suggest to you. I struggle with it every day. All right, Ethan, you're beloved child of God. How does this this play out? Do you really believe that? I, I struggle with that, guys. I know I'm not the only one. One way that that, that Christ sort of massages this identity into our hearts and into our minds is through prayer. Now, prayer is a big topic. We're not going to go too far into that, but I want to emphasize one thing that I'm sure that all of you have experienced prayer at different levels in your life. Maybe you just pray on Sunday mornings when we do confession, and maybe you have some sort of prayer life individually. Maybe you use a prayer book. But I'm sure that all of us at some point has felt like our prayers are ineffectual. We get tired. We get bored. And those prayers just seem to hit the ceiling. What does Jesus' ascension mean for our prayers? What the ascension tells us is that whenever we pray, we are not separate from God but God is with us. In fact, Jesus is our high priest and the Holy Spirit prays for us and with us and in us. St. Augustine uh, put it this way. The one sole savior of his body is our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who prays for us. He prays in us and is prayed to by us. He prays for us as our high priest, he prays in us as our head, and he's prayed to us by us as our God. Friends, when we pray, when even when we confess our sins, I would suggest to you, Jesus is praying with us and in us and for us. Jesus is with us in those moments where we feel like our prayers are hitting the ceiling, when our prayers are boring and ineffect- feel ineffectual, Jesus is for you. And when we pray, our lives are immersed in the life of Jesus Christ. And that's not all. As we'll find out more next week, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit with who also intercedes for us. As Paul says in Romans, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Friends, we are surrounded by God. Up top and inside and all around. The Holy Spirit dwells in you, giving you the life of Jesus and confirming in you that you are a beloved child of God. In prayer, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit massages that identity into your hearts and minds and bodies. <coughs> Let us hear clearly what we are hearing this morning. When you become a Christian, you discover that the God of the uni- universe, the God who created you and sustains you, is for you, totally and absolutely for you. Jesus said that anyone who loves me and will obey my teaching, my Father will love them. And we'll come to them and make our home with them. He has rescued you from the bondage of sin and death and gives you his very life. You are home, you are beloved, and God is with you. In his ascension, Jesus runs ahead of us and opens salvation for all people who will believe. He surrounds us as our high priest, and finally, he strengthens us for our calling and vocation as the king of the universe. The ascension... One of the largest sort of motifs of the ascension is the idea of, of kingly enthronement. As we can see from our reading in Ephesians, when Jesus ascended to heaven, he was enthroned as the rightful king of the universe. And as king and ruler, he provides and sustains all of life, including every task and work we do in the world. He is the good giver of gifts and talents and creativity jesus's ascension to the throne as king means he strengthens and provides for his church good works to do this is how paul says it for for we are god's handiwork created in christ jesus to do good works which god prepared in advance for us to do jesus as king infuses our work our vocations and even yes mostly the daily activities of day-to-day life with meaning and significance. There is nothing you do that, has, that is meaningless. And as beloved children of God in Christ, everything we do can be done to the glory of God and for his kingdom. So let me bring this all together. For all, those, for all this, we can see that, that for Christians, Jesus' ascension and ministry as forerunner, priest, and king is the ground of our identity, our sanctification, and calling in life. But what does that look like? Consider these three People as examples of life lived in light of Christ's ascension. Brother Lawrence is a good example of this. He's a monk from the 16th century, not particularly special at all, actually. He was a soldier for a while, and then he gave up that life and became a monk. And he thought, oh man, I'll become a monk, I'll be super spiritual. He became the monk in the kitchen, he became a dishwasher. And rather than living resentfully and saying, oh, man, what is this? He realized that he is a beloved child of God. And that he could do everything out of that identity. So he washed dishes for the love of God. That was his life. Wrote a few letters. That's how we know about him today. That was it. He washed dishes because he was loved and for the love of God. Then there's the, the famous Olympian Eric Liddell. I'm sure if you've seen Chariots of Fire, that song, song is probably going through your head right now. Yeah. He ran. We know this. And it says, he says that he ran because he felt God's pleasure. Now this was striking to me because I think most of us live our lives out of the need for approval and the need to prove that we are worth something. And it was flipped for him. He ran because he already knew he was approved. He already knew he was loved. And the pleasure he felt when he was running was the result of that love. He knew that he was loved, and that was how he could run. Eric ran because he was a beloved child of God with a gift to use. That's it. My friends, he also went on to be a missionary. He actually died on the mission field. That, too, was because God loved him. And finally, think of the Anglican Christian poet, George Herbert. He was, uh, lived a short life. He died when he was 39. And his ministry was even shorter. He was only a parish priest for three years before he died. We wouldn't even know of him except his poems were published after he died. And some of his poems are, are some of the most beautiful poems in the English language. And in these poems, we see his vocation as priest and poet grounded in God's love for him. I'm gonna read one of his poems to you as an example of this. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew near to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, Worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I? The unkind? The ungrateful? Ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply. Who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, said love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Friends, the ascension tells us that we are loved. We are deeply and truly loved. And it is out of this love that God and Jesus Christ ascended as a human being and completed his work of salvation and ministers to us as our forerunner, high priest, and king. So I, I hope that you've caught a small glimpse of why the ascension is truly joyful And worthy of worship and celebration and as a part of that celebration I want to invite you today to rest in the ground of this joy and worship God is calling you as Christians to rest in your identity as a beloved child of God you are loved truly and absolutely loved nothing can change that because you are in Christ it is out of this place of security that we grow in Christ and work for his kingdom Love bids you welcome and gives you everything you need. But I want to be sensitive to the fact that not everybody here is a Christian. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you've attended church your whole life and not really figured out what this is all about. Friends, Christ today confronts you and He invites you. He confronts you because you are not living. The way he created you to live and he's inviting you to wake up to life in him repent and believe there is only one way and it is jesus christ who loves you and died and rose and ascended for you today we celebrate the ascension of the lord jesus christ Let us, like the disciples, worship him with great joy. Amen.